Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and as always, I'm really glad that you could all join us uh, for today's show. Uh, One other quick uh, reminder, I want to say a special hello to our listeners out at WUGA, who usually carry the show at 2 in the afternoon, uh, but because of the impeachment trial, which is being carried on NPR, the um, all afternoon, the managers of the station out there very graciously agreed to air our show at 9 o'clock in the morning, which is when we uh, do it live. So we're really happy to have the WUGA audience with us on this Thursday morning. An awful lot to talk about. The impeachment trial, once again, is the big story in national news. And we will talk about that at some point today. But Donald Trump is making news right here in Georgia, as well as Fawnie Willis uh, launches what she says could be uh, a, a, a charge could be an investigation that leads to criminal charges against President Trump. We'll get to that in a little while with our panel. But, but I really want to start with some state news that is equally important today. Amelia Brock pointed out to me right before the show went on the air that uh, we're coming up, hard to believe, on the one-year anniversary of the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery down uh, near uh, Brunswick, Georgia, February 23rd. It, it's hard to believe it's been almost a year. And um, Governor Kemp, as you heard in the headlines of the show, is now set to introduce legislation to change citizens' arrest uh, law, the citizens' arrest law here, uh, in large part in reaction to the fact that the two defendants in that case, Travis and Gre- Greg McMichael, uh, believed they were acting uh, within the law, uh, because they believed that they were stopping someone who had been responsible responsible for break-ins in the neighborhood. And, and we're really going to start with that conversation uh, this morning. So let's get right to our panel. It's Thursday, which means the editor, the boss of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Kevin Riley, is with us. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Good good to be with you this morning, Bill. Really looking forward to the show. Uh, we've got some panelists that I haven't met before, and uh, I think they're going to be great. Uh, I have no doubt about that. By the way, Kevin Riley, there are, there are very sobering and somber stories in the news today. But you pointed out before we went on the air that the biggest story on the AJC website, and I haven't checked with GPB yet, but I'll bet it's true on ours too, is what? The burning of the Krispy Kreme donut store yeah. in uh, Midtown. Yeah. Uh, a huge story, an iconic uh, business in Atlanta, and one that I've spent more time in than I really care to admit, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's in any way inappropriate to see that, that for people to think of that as uh, big news. That that place has held such dear memories for so many people over the years. We are not going to spend much time on that on the show today, but I thought it was worth pointing out that it is a story that people have cared about. Uh, we're uh, very happy to have back with us today the mayor of Tifton, Georgia, Julie Smith, who you're now in your second term as mayor, right? You've already won re-election. 
right, Mayor? That, that, that is correct. I certainly am. And bring greetings from beautiful Tifton, Georgia, from South Georgia on a rainy Thursday morning. Yeah, it's pretty pretty miserable up here in Metro Atlanta yeah. too. Um, Mayor Mayor Smith, in when I was reading local Tifton news yesterday and preparing for you to be here, I was struck by the fact that it was pretty big news in your local uh, web newspaper that uh, that Tift County had identified two new cases of COVID nineteen. We should only be so lucky in counties in Metro Atlanta. This means you've, your county has really done a good job shutting the virus down. We're working diligently with all of our health care providers, and you know we're very, very thankful that our numbers are going down. And uh, I was talking with a representative from our hospital just last week, and she noted that our ICU actually looked like it did pre-COVID. And so that's, that's good. I think uh, what we're seeing is, um, just like you're hearing in the national news, the vaccine's working. Uh, people are being diligent with masks and distancing and washing their hands and all the CDC guidelines and um, and just being very cautious and aware. So we're not out of the woods yet by any stretch, but I'm very thankful that in Tift County we're seeing that decline and uh, really want to keep those who continue to work on the front lines and our thoughts and prayers and support them in any way that we can. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see the numbers going down there, especially since your next door neighbors in Doherty County were the yeah. biggest hotspot for COVID in the United States early on in the pandemic. Uh, we're also Absolutely. joined again today by Dr. Amy Steigerwald, professor of political science at Georgia State University. And, and Amy, you also oversee the internship program down at the state capitol. Uh, I have to be, I'm ignorant as to whether or not that program is kind of has it been suspended by the virus? How is that happening? No, um, actually, we are still having it. So there's a bit fewer interns. I think we have a total of 35 this year. Um, but they're actually the only temporary employees that have been hired to help out down at the Capitol. So in many ways, they're, um, you know, obviously operating in unique circumstances, but also getting to sort of see and do a lot more than they usually would because there's not all of the other ones. So, for example, there's no page program, so they rotate between the interns sort of doing page duty, helping out with the clerk's office, as well as the normal work that they do supporting uh, the various chairs and leadership offices. So, um, thankfully, it's, it's all going pretty well, and, and they're, they're having a good time down there and really excited to be down there. Isn't it wonderful that there are some people who are actually having a good time being down at the legislative session? I should ask that question of our of, of our first time panelist, Senator Kim Jackson, uh, who is in her first term as a state senator representing District 41, which encompasses parts of DeKalb and Gwinnett County. I believe, Senator Jackson, you're a Stone Mountain resident, but you are also a person who has really broken ground in some significant ways. Uh, your uh, service in the Senate starting in January made you the first openly LGBTQ uh, state senator. You are an Episcopal priest in the uh, diocese, of, diocese of Atlanta. You are the first priest of color uh, LGBTQ priest of color to be ordained in uh, the Episcopal Church here in Atlanta. And at you're pretty young. You're one of the younger members of the Georgia General Assembly as well. Yep. 
All of that is correct. You've done your research quite well. So, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm having a great time down there. Really? You are? You're having fun? Okay, good for you. <laughs> All right, let's get to In fact, you know what, Senator, let me start with you, because you're going to have to deal with this issue when it comes up. As, as I've already said, uh, the, um, the governor is close to rolling out his proposal on how to deal with Georgia's citizens' arrest law, which has been in place, I think, for 100-plus years and uh, I know there are people in, in, in Georgia who really feel the law should simply be thrown off the books, that, it, that we don't have any reason to have it on the books. The governor apparently is going to propose a reform which would still give businesses and, I guess, off-duty law enforcement officers uh, the right to arrest people under certain circumstances. Um, give us your take on how that uh, uh, whole uh, measure is being looked at downtown. Sure. Yeah. So the the first thing is that the citizens arrest law was implemented during a time in which there were clearly racist reasons for for starting it, and and quite frankly, it continues to be used in really racist ways. Uh, and so the call for reform comes after the Odd Odd Arbery case, and um, as a follow up, honestly, you know they passed the hate crimes bill last year, and this was the natural follow up to address this bill as well. What the governor is proposing, and I think most uh, many people are on board with this, is to basically carve out what we call kind of the shopkeeper's clause. So if someone shoplifts in your store, you will still be able to detain that person. It's actually not an arrest. You do have to turn them over if you choose to to an arresting officer. Um, but want to be able to keep people who have businesses to continue to have that clause. And um, also people, I, I believe the governor is proposing that people who live, you know, if someone comes into your home, invades your home, that you would still have a, a right to once again detain them. But I think it's been really, I think it's been really well demonstrated that this law has ultimately been really harmful, both to people who have, uh, who found themselves being under some type of citizen's arrest, uh, and also, I mean, quite frankly, I'm not trained to detain and arrest a person, and neither are any of us on this call that I believe, right? And so uh, it's actually a very dangerous proposition for a regular layperson to try to detain someone who they saw commit a crime. So I'm excited to see this advance. Um, there will be clear bipartisan support on this, and, and I really look forward to seeing Georgia move forward on this issue. Kevin? You know, uh, Senator Jackson, uh, I'm interested in what Dr. Steigerwald and Mayor Smith have to say on this, too. So in our recent poll, uh, support for, for eliminating or, or really reforming this law was, was I would say, say noncommittal. When you looked at the overall sample of Georgians, it was about basically 45 percent on each side. Um, but when you dig into the numbers, 65 percent of Republicans polled oppose it. And 66% of Democrats support it. So uh, it's just surprising, is it not? And why would the governor stick his neck out on this at this time? And I'm asking Senator Jackson from kind of a political point of view and the mayor and then uh, Dr. Seigwald from like that political science point of view. How is this going to play big picture? Yeah, I think once again, the governor is trying to continue this work that's correcting uh, Georgia's legacy of um, of having some really racist laws on the books. And um, he's been clear that this is just the right thing to do. 
Uh, and, and so I think sometimes we take some political calculations um, and make them and conclude that ultimately we have to do what's right. And I think that's what's happening here. Mayor? Yes. Um, Senator makes uh, some outstanding um, points here. You know, she mentioned the um, hate crime bill. And so many of our governments are looking at equity and inclusion mm-hmm. and really addressing um, issues that have um, come over the years, just systemic racism. And it's been, it's been hidden under the guise of laws and protection, but it's, it's just racism. And you just boil it down to what it is. Um, I'm very excited. I think that Governor Kemp is making a good move. Um, The senator brings up excellent points. We are not trained as citizens to detain and arrest. And, and, you know, these, you know, it could be a potentially dangerous situation for you or your family. Um, And if you look back, as she said, at the sort of the intent of the law originally with the shopkeeper's clause, sort of protecting your own personal property, but to chase somebody down leave your park, chase somebody down and, and to harm them, um, we see, you know, the sad results with, with Mr. Arbery's death. And, and here we are on the anniversary that you mentioned. Um, you know, we just, we need reform. And I applaud Governor Kemp for looking at this. I think it's all part of uh, trying to eliminate that racism in our, in our state. And if we can do that in our state, then we can attempt to uh, have an impact on our country. So I applaud him for the effort it, for this. And glad to hear that it's bipartisan support, too, uh, from the senator. Amy? Um, I think the other part of it is sort of to go back to Kevin's question of talking about the poll results is this is an important place where it's about what question is asked of people. So the way that the poll actually presented it was that the law uh, allows you to detain someone if you witness a crime. That's actually what still would remain in the proposal that Governor Kemp is coming up with. The Um, What is happening is that the law, as currently written, also says that if you have suspicion that someone's committed a crime, reasonable suspicion, so you didn't actually witness it, but you think they may have, without any sort of personal knowledge of that, you can detain them. And that's actually what happened in the Ahmad Aubrey case, right? They did not know. In fact, they knew, like, there was sort of evidence that supposedly someone had been breaking into um, construction sites, they saw someone running in the neighborhood and decided that, oh, this must be the person, without any knowledge that, in fact, a crime had recently taken place or that this was the person who did it. That was that reasonable suspicion. And that's a big difference. I have a feeling if you asked people, do you support a law that says if you think someone may have, but you didn't witness it and you don't actually know, and you should be able to stop them, I think in that sense, a lot of people would say no. Right. I think instead here, and it was also a question of not should we reform it or perhaps revise it, but should we either keep it or eliminate it? Right. And that's a pretty stark difference that comes in there. I think the reason we're seeing bipartisan support is because it's that other portion of the law that was put in um, really for the purposes that Senator Jackson was talking about to really kind of give cover, particularly 150 years ago, to those who wanted reason to be able to detain and potentially harm um, particularly black, brown citizens uh, who were in Georgia. And that's what I think causes it to be disproportionately applied because, again, it's not that you witnessed it. Um, and I think that's the big difference, right? The law would still retain it for you see someone do this, right? Particularly as a shopkeeper, you may act. When you don't actually see it, you don't actually know, you're just guessing. That actually isn't grounds for even a police officer to be able to arrest someone, much like much less a private citizen. 
You know, Amy, as long as the ball's in your court, uh, Kevin Riley asked, why would Governor Kemp jump in on something like this right now? Well, I can think of two reasons. One, because, as uh, Senator Jackson points out, there's a very little question that over the decades, this law has, in fact, disproportionately targeted African-Americans, minorities in this state. But, Amy... This is also the new Governor Kemp. This is a Governor Kemp who is already beginning to think about his reelection campaign. And is, it, is, it strikes me that it is incredibly smart for him to take this on and to make this a part of his agenda uh, for this session in an effort to perhaps shed the far more conservative image that voters had of him when he ran for the office uh, in 2018. Yes? Most decidedly. Um, he is highly likely to be facing Stacey Abrams in the, for a gubernatorial rematch in two years. Um, as we saw in both November and January, she is widely credited, and rightly so, as the architect of really creating a massive ground game for Democrats um, throughout the state, right, not just in metro Atlanta. And one of the things that I think we can also take away from the last election is a real concern with incredibly um, of, of not of backing away from sort of the more types of bipartisan efforts, that there has been a shrinking, I think, of the Republican base, that there needs to be broader outreach, that there needs to be um, a recognition and a move towards that kind of bigger tent that we hear. And let's be frank, one of the things that uh, former Governor Nathan Deal got the most credit for was, in fact, his spearheading of criminal justice reform and juvenile justice reform in the state of Georgia. It is a widely supported thing. Um, we were actually ended up being a national model for a lot of states that then also did similar reforms, both in the adult and the juvenile systems. And this one seems a little bit like a no-brainer, um, especially going in, coming out of a really um, time when we've seen a lot of racial polarization. And yes, politically, like he needs to make inroads and not have it be that he's, you know, trying to block and keep online a law that lots of people see as inherently racist. Mayor Smith, I'm pretty sure I'm correct that you run for mayor, and it's a nonpartisan election uh, in Tifton. But but you have made that's, it clear in the past on the show that you uh, you identify as as a Republican in Georgia. Um, this is kind of a direction I would think that. Well, I should ask. I shouldn't assume. Uh, smart <laughs> of the governor to begin uh, trying to carve out for himself uh, a somewhat more inclusive image and. Uh, embrace more inclusive policies moving toward 2022? I think that's completely fair. And, and again, I do applaud him. I think he's listening to his constituents across the state, and that's, that's really important. Um, you know, I've always said local government is the closest to the people, but I'm so proud that our governor is, is listening, and it's so important to me in my community. You know, I mentioned equity and inclusion a minute ago, and, and that's really what this is about. And um, the fact that Governor Kemp, whether it's, you know, a campaign move or not, if he's sincere, if he's listening to his constituents, if it's the right thing for the state, then I, I support that 100 percent. So um, in, in, um, in uh, what Amy just kind of second what Amy was saying and agree with her, um, I, I think it's the right thing for him to do. And um, I, he's got to do something to bring this Republican Party together in this state. We're so divided. And, 
and the country's so divided, the state's so divided on, on issues that um, if we can find things that unite us, and like Amy said, if you look at that law and what the, if you ask the question in the proper way, then we would all say, no, that's, it's not, that's not right. We need to reform that. We need to address that. So, um, so I, I hope that his efforts will unite our state, uh, regardless of which side you're on, a Republican, Democrat. Uh, we're all still Georgians at the end of the day, and, and as such, we can, we can make great strides. So I, I applaud him for that. I think it's a good move. I, I do want to move on, but I do, Kevin, and, and then Senator Jackson, want to give you one last chance if you want to add anything to this part of the conversation. Kevin, and then Senator Jackson. Well, I smiled when uh, Dr. Stargwald said that uh, the election is in two years. Uh, I mean, I know that's when the vote is, but basically the campaign has started um, uh, right now almost, <laughs> and, and so we will be dealing with it for a long time. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting on two on several fronts for Brian Kemp. So first. Um, this is a guy who um, sort of implied he would personally arrest immigrants during his uh, primary before uh, governor. And, and that's a long way to come uh, from where he was to where this uh, puts him. We also have this question about him being primaried and, and what former President Trump might do. And I could only imagine what might happen on this issue in a in a very divisive primary. Um so uh, it's really, to me, interesting to, to, to watch uh, what Brian Kemp believes he has to do to get reelected. And, and of course, Senator Jackson, um, where will the Democrats go on this? I mean, really, when we say the Democrats, we mean Stacey Abrams, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, here's the truth about this situation. Uh, this is a this is very low hanging fruit. I think this is a low risk bill for him to step in to try to intervene on. You know, from a progressive standpoint, there is so much more around criminal justice issues that we need to address and that would actually make real change and actually protect a significantly more black lives than than this bill does. So it's a really wise move for him to intervene. It's low cost. It's low hanging fruit. Uh, so, you know, he's He's making some maybe moderate steps here um, by stepping out, but it's not a big leap. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that. All right. We'll watch how that uh, proceeds as the governor actually uh, unveils formally uh, what his proposal will do. Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way right now. When we come back, uh, let's talk about this really kind of stark and remarkable question. Could Donald Trump face criminal prosecution in Fulton County, Georgia. There is a chance that could happen. We'll discuss it after the break. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. AJC editor Kevin Riley, Amy Steigerwalt, professor of political science at Georgia State University, Tifton Mayor Julie Smith, and... Senator Kim Jackson of uh, uh, Gwinnett County and DeKalb County. You live on a farm in Stone Mountain. I forgot to point that out. How? What are you? Are you far, actually farming? Well, Senator? yeah, we we have goats and chickens and ducks, and uh, we <laughs> ma- mainly sell eggs is what we do. But yeah, it's, it's small. Okay. It's nice. uh, it's wonderful. Congratulations on that. All right, uh, let's turn to some much more serious uh, news right now. Kevin, we've known that Fonnie Willis, the new district attorney at Fulton County, has been for some time now considering whether or not her office should engage in an investigation for possible criminal activity by Donald Trump 
uh, during his efforts to overturn the Georgia election. Yesterday, uh, uh, the district attorney sent a letter to a number of state officials, including Brad Ravensburger, Governor Kemp, Jeff Duncan, Attorney General Chris Carr, and others, asking them to preserve documents related to an investigation into attempts to influence the state's 2020 presidential election. Um, Ms. Willis wants to bring this matter before the next meeting of the Fulton County Grand Jury, which takes place in March. And uh, according to the New York Times, potential violations of state law include the solicitation of election fraud, the making of false statements to state and local government bodies, conspiracy, racketeering, violations of oath of office, and any involvement in violence or threats related to the elections administration. Uh, there's more that we can add to all of that. But, Kevin, let me just start with that, and let's talk about this potential for a, a criminal case to be brought against Donald Trump right here in Fulton County, which, by the way, would most likely, if it were to happen, impanel a jury that wouldn't be terribly friendly to Donald Trump, given the partisan uh, composition of the electorate in the county. Yeah, so uh, uh, District Attorney Willis, welcome to your job. Within uh, a month or so, she's got all kinds of incredibly demanding, difficult things to deal with, including the Rayshard Brooks case and, and what will happen there, um, and also the case involving the college students where six officers were uh, disciplined. And now this. Um, you know, I have struggled to figure out how uh, this will play. I mean, I understand the legal ramifications, uh, the idea that we could argue Trump committed a crime and it, that crime is appropriately prosecuted in Fulton County. But I also think this creates a lot of political pressure and will create a lot of political uproar because from afar, uh, whether we like it or not, and whether uh, D.A. Willis likes it or not, it, it can look a little bit like a stunt. I mean, really, we're going to bring the president here, put him on trial, uh, possibly convict him. It seems like a far off sort of thing. And um, I, I just wonder if it will just uh, eventually fade away. And I'm interested in the political, <laughs> the politicians here on our panel, point of, their, their point of view on this. Well, let me uh, bring everybody in, but as I do, let me also point out that Jason Miller, who, of course, is continuing as a senior advisor to Donald Trump, issued this statement on Wednesday. Here's his quote. The timing here is not, not accidental given today's impeachment trial. This is simply the Democrats' latest attempt to score political points by continuing their witch hunt against President Trump, and everybody sees through it. Um, Amy Steigerwald, witch hunt continues to be a... Uh, the common way of describing anybody that is in any way looking into uh, President Trump's behavior. Yes. Um, so the only thing that actually is interesting about this, sort of going to, to Kevin's point, is that a number of the GOP senators plus President Trump's attorneys during the um, impeachment trial, especially on day one, suggested that perhaps the proper response to this is, in fact, not the impeachment trial, but rather the bringing of criminal charges, that if, in fact, that that's the proper way to handle this. And so in that sense, there's an argument that, in fact, this is where it should be handled. And so if you believe that argument, then, in fact, this is proper. And so you shouldn't, in fact, argue against it. You should allow this to play out. And that way, the evidence can be looked at 
um, in a proceeding which is, in fact, apolitical, right, because it has to go through the grand jury. You have to be able to bring it and, and follow it there. But obviously it's going to be sort of viewed through a political lens at the same time. I mean, I think what we're in part more broadly struggling with, and we see this in the impeachment trial itself because it's hard to disconnect them, is this question of what does it mean to hold people accountable for actions? What does that look like? How do we grapple with what happened on January 6th? And what is the proper response to these actions. And I think we also sort of struggle with the question of what do we do with actions that have happened really sort of out in the open, right? There was really nothing hidden about these actions. They were fairly brazen. They were out in the open, right? The things that President Trump said in his call to Secretary of State Raffensperger are the same ones he said in public. And I think that actually makes it harder for us sometimes. I want to bring Mayor Smith and Senator Jackson in, but as long as you mentioned the phone call, let's remind people of what that some of what that phone call from Trump to Raffensperger consisted of. Let's listen to just a little bit of it. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state, and flipping the state is a great testament to our country, because, you know, and there's, there's, there's just a, it's a testament that they can admit to a mistake or whatever you want to call it, if it was a mistake. I don't know. A lot of people think it wasn't a mistake. It was much more uh, criminal than that. But it's a big problem in Georgia. And it's, it's not a problem that's going away. I mean, you know, it's not a problem that's going away. And, and we got President, it. This is Ryan. We're yeah. looking into every one of those things that, that you mentioned. Um, okay, and all investigators, but if you find them, you got to say it, Ryan. Look. And there, are, let me ask you, Ryan, is going ballot? Let me tell you what we are seeing. Go ahead. We, what, what we're seeing is not at all what you're describing. Okay. And it, these are investigators from our office. These are investigators from. So uh, that CBI. is um, uh, you're hearing uh, uh, one of the other uh, officials in the secretary of state's office, his lawyer who was on that call with uh, Brad Raffensperger and President Trump. Mayor Smith and then Senator Jackson uh, weigh in on all this for us. Sure. You know, that is so painful to listen to. It, it, it's embarrassing and it's painful. And I am so proud of our secretary of state. He stood his ground. And, uh, you know, I sent him a letter about three weeks ago just saying, Secretary of State Raffensperger, I am so proud to, um, to have you in this role that you're in and support your stance for truth, justice, and the American way. I mean, he really um, was, was – it's just painful to listen to. And, uh, you know, the grand jury will determine, you know, if this needs to be um, handled in, in state court. So, um I'm going to watch. I think it's going to be very interesting. And, and like uh, like you said, it's going to be difficult to find uh, a jury of peers that will, um, you know, be able to uh, to hear this because uh, it, it's painful and it's embarrassing. And, um, uh, I, you know, do I wish it never happened? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's a lot to be said about um, realizing what the outcome of the election is and, and stepping aside gracefully and peacefully. And uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. And uh, But I'm very proud of the way Brad Raffensperger handled the situation, and, and he is to, uh, he's to be commended for that. Senator? 
you know, so here's the thing. I, I see this happen in my district all the time. Someone comes to your house and you catch them on your ring camera where they are clearly stealing, you know, the, the box that was on your stoop. And my neighbors, they take that video to the police and they say, listen, a crime has been committed. Do something about it. And that's what we have here. We have a tape where we hear a president threatening public officials uh, to to, to commit a crime. And so that tape has come to D.A. Willis, and she has a responsibility as the D.A. to do something about it. She has a responsibility to Georgians and to the American people. And so while it may look like to the outside a political stunt, fundamentally this is about her carrying out the duties of her job, which is to take evidence and to do a full investigation and then bring it to a grand jury and we move from there. So, you know, and I think it's also just important to note that, you know, she said, this is not, this is my dream job. I'm not doing this to get anywhere else. And, and, and I come from a place where I believe black women, when they say that this is what they feel, I, I believe them. And so the last point I want to make, and I just want to highlight that black women have been standing up to defend our democracy in incredible ways this week. You know, we saw uh, yesterday, uh, you know, Delegate Plaskett come in with a cape dress <laughs> that, to stand up and to be a defender of our democracy. And I, I see D.A. Willis as, as doing yet another time of standing up for our democracy here. So, Bill, the one thing I, I would also add, I mean, I really appreciate the insights that we've heard. Um, you know, I had a chance to talk to a, a former senior uh, U.S. Justice Department uh, official here in Atlanta. And as you know, there's been a lot of talk at the federal level about how the Justice Department would be just completely reluctant to prosecute a former president because of how that looks and the idea that in our country, we don't send uh, our political opponents to jail when, when another, another uh, party comes to power. And while this is a you know, purely local thing and, and it's particularly troubling, as, as Dr. Steigerwald pointed out, because it was so brazen. You know, I mean, it was right out in the open and, and people can make their own judgments. I just think that that's going to be a big part of this, right, uh, in, in, on a smaller scale. I mean, it, are we going to turn into a place where when someone leaves office, um, they become, you know, potential, they are, they're a potential, potential to be charged with crimes? We would hope that as people leave office, they do it in a very different way than we saw President Trump do it. And I, and I do think that it was in every way, his behavior was shocking and disturbing and, as uh, D.A. Willis is pointing out, potentially criminal. But I, I do think that's a tough question for our country. All right. Um, I, I want to get to another break because we still have a lot more to talk about. But but uh, before I do, I, I just want to mention, and we'll be following this case as it moves forward, uh, when you look at what the D.A. is investigating, it's kind of staggering how much there is here a call to top election, a top election investigator in which Mr. Trump asked the official to find the fraud, a call to Raffensperger, which we already know about, a call to Kemp calling for a special session of the legislature to review the results of the election and overturn them, a conversation with Attorney General Chris Carr in which Trump warned him not to interfere in a Texas lawsuit seeking to overturn the results in Georgia, and then the sudden resignation of B.J. Pack, the Northern District U.S. attorney who apparently stepped down 
we believe perhaps because he was getting such pressure from uh, Trump to do something about the results of the election. This is wide-ranging, and it's kind of breathtaking to see it all in one place. All right, let's get to a break. When we come back, I do want to talk about one more matter in the legislature that I know that, uh, Senator Jackson, you're particularly interested in, and then let's talk impeachment. We'll be right back. Uh, Mayor Julie Smith, Dr. Amy Steigerwall, Kevin Riley, and Senator Kim Jackson today on Political Rewind. Uh, Senator Jackson, I know uh, that one of the things that you're concerned about, uh, and we'll take a couple minutes to talk about it, is some anti-transgender legislation that's tracking in the legislature right now. Um, I, I assume one of those bills is this bill filed by Philip Singleton of Sharpsburg, which basically would ban transgender girls from competing in a sport that doesn't align with their gender identified at birth? Are there other measures like that that seem to be just kind of hot button social issues? That's right. So there's that bill, and then there's another one that was just dropped in the hopper yesterday, HB 372, uh, which seeks to do very similar things. It defines uh, gender and who can play in, in sports for, for children. And so these are clearly uh, anti-trans uh, bills that are coming forward. But I want to be I want to be clear here. I was an elite athlete, and uh, these bills are actually attacks on elite female athletes or elite athletes who are, who are girls. Because the reality is, if you come in last place, nobody's ever going to really question uh, your gender. But it's for the girl who was like me, who could lift more than half the weights, you know, lift weights more than half of the, bat, the football team. It's, it's the girls <laughs> like me who will have to, have to have their gender questioned and ultimately be open to having their privacy violated. So this is actually not about protecting girls and girls' sports. In fact, it brings a spotlight on elite athletes and really puts them in incredibly vulnerable positions. Um, but it, it, I don't think Philip Singleton introduced his measure last session and it got absolutely nowhere. And I think the question is, will a bill will these bills really get gain traction and go through the entire General Assembly, be signed by Governor Kemp? Or are they more kind of red meat for the base? I think it's not what, that I, that isn't not that that doesn't matter. I mean, clearly that sends a message in any case. But in terms of the practical question of whether they would pass, that's another story. Right. You know, unfortunately, these bills have caught a lot of momentum over the over the course of time. And when we see another one come from someone um, else that looks very similar, who um, has I think, perhaps a little bit more power in the House, then, then we have to be on guard. And I think there is a substantial chance. I mean, nobody... I think many of us thought that uh, the what was so, the so-called heartbeat bill was was just red meat for the base, and and we see what happened with that. So uh, I'm I'm very careful to not dismiss this as just red meat. Yeah, I, I think there's a real risk here. That I think that's an important point. Uh, let me get everybody else in, Kevin. Yeah, you know, one of the things we do on our website, uh, Bill, as you know, on our legislative navigator, we track bills, we track a lot of things. And, and, and to go to Senator Jackson's point, as we sit here today, our <coughs> navigator, which people can obviously find themselves on AJC.com, um, gives the bill, uh, the bill uh, that uh, Representative Singleton filed, a 30% chance of passage, right? And that, there's a few factors that go into that. So 
I do think it is correct on your parts interjected and say, well, some people might think this isn't going to really go anywhere, but 30% is 30%. You know, that if you hit 300 in the major leagues, you're a good player. So um, I, I do think it's worth noting that something like that may happen. Thanks. Amy? Um, I think it also speaks to sort of broader ramifications. So the legal ramifications are that the law is in somewhat asking and suggesting that if there is a disconnect between someone's gender identity and what is listed as their biological sex on their birth certificate, that they can then be denied access to something that other people would receive. And part of what is also, I think, the kind of broader legal ramification is that undertaking that argument can lead to similar arguments in other contexts. Um, One of the big ones would be, for example, medical care. We already know that there's concerns about transgender individuals being able to get access to medical care. And a similar argument, in fact, has been levied, suggesting that if there's that disconnect, then that may, in fact, be grounds, for example, for a doctor or a nurse to not want to treat someone and, in fact, you know, affirmatively reject them and be protected under law. And so some of it is that it goes broader there. Um, I think the other issue is that this is gets at the core sort of politically of this sort of debate that we're seeing play out, right? It really is the flip side of the question about the citizen's arrest law of what kinds of focuses are we going to see happening? What types of debates? What are going to be the issues that we try to um, bring up? Um, And I think particularly for the Republican Party in Georgia, where they have um, really narrowed their base that they are in danger of losing, for example, representation in the metro Atlanta area, there's a real possible problem of this may sort of solidify the base in uh, certain counties, but I think it also potentially has the effect of really putting um, a target on the back of those members that still do represent metro Atlanta and are Republicans. Uh, Mayor Smith, is this the ground Republicans ought to be fighting on? I don't think so. There's so much, you know, we've talked about criminal justice reform. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're coming out of, um, we're, we're not out of the woods yet with this pandemic. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. There's a, a great quote in the AJC article that said, this is really just a solution looking for a problem. And I, and I agree with that. There, there's, you know, I just kind of scratch my head sometimes with things that come before our legislators. And um, this is just, um, I understand that, that it can lead to, uh, you know, greater situations, and, and, and Amy and Senator Jackson are completely right in that it's, you know, it's um, it's it's just going to open a door that we don't, a Pandora's box I don't think we want to go through. So I don't think we should you know, take that up. All right, we'll watch how this proceeds. Um, you know what, but as, before we move on, very quickly, I just want to say, Mayor Smith, you are an example of something that I think is really an interesting phenomenon. Um, when you're a mayor... <laughs> You are dealing every day with constituents. You don't have a lot of time for ideology. You have to deal with the very practical problems of what's, how come my sewer hasn't worked properly? How come I can't get the garbage picked up? And so it is mayors who quite often are the least ideological, regardless of what party they're in. And I think in many ways you represent that. And and I just wanted to get that in. I'll deal with a pothole over this any day. Um, Let's move on to something uh, uh, much more serious. I I have to tell you, um, 
I, I watch, I feel like it's my job to watch the impeachment trial every day and kind of pin to the TV, which isn't necessarily a pleasant duty. I think many of you know that we were on the air live on January 6th in the afternoon as the riot unfolded. And Tamar Hallerman was on with me that day. Both of us had spent enormous amounts of time covering the United States Capitol, know the building well. And so as the events actually unfolded live, we were both heartsick. But watching yesterday, watching the way in which the impeachment managers put together video, the video timeline, and for the first time we saw some video of just how much danger Senator Mitt Romney, Romney Senator Chuck Schumer, Vice President Mike Pence, just how frightening what happened to the police officers in the Capitol, uh, to see officers being beaten from uh, the perspective of their body cameras. Um, it was one of the most devastating days I can think of ever having spent. I, I'm not talking about whether you believe that President Trump, former President Trump, is responsible for inciting that mob. We'll see how that turns out. But the attack, the assault on our democracy was terrifying. Um, and, and I want to just quickly, um, that's right, Amy, you were with us that day as well. So you saw it live too. Um, let's listen just briefly to impeachment manager Madeline Dean, who yesterday brought Georgia, as we expected, into the impeachment trial. In Georgia, a state Trump had counted on for victory, his conduct was perhaps the most egregious. The President of the United States telling a public official to manufacture the exact votes needed so he can win. Senators, we must not become numb to this. Trump did this across state after state, so often, so loudly, so publicly. So, um, Mayor Smith, let me get everybody in, in uh, on this, but Mayor Smith, I'll start with you yeah. again. Um, you know, in many ways, the, the we, we know that the Senate is unlikely to convict uh, Donald Trump, that Republicans are, many of them are steadfast in saying that he uh, wasn't involved uh, in, in what happened, that he didn't incite the violence. And that's probably the key word in all of this. What does it mean to incite a mob? But no matter how you come down on that question, the dark forces that this reveals that exist in this country I think, are a wake-up call that we can't afford to ignore, Mayor. That's, that's absolutely right. You know, my husband and I were watching the national news last night, and when they showed the video that, like you mentioned, uh, we were seeing some of that for the first time, I turned and looked at him and just said, how horrible, how horrifying to watch this. And um, it's, you know, I, this, this is the exception. This is not the rule. This is not who we are. This is the exception. And those that are responsible need to be held accountable to the nth degree of the law. And um, you're right. And, you know, who incites? It's, 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 you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, the, the future will, you know, reveal itself on, on whether uh, this moves forward on this impeachment. But um, it's just disappointing and it's scary. And um, I'm, I'm so, um, I, I'm just appalled by the actions. I'm appalled by. Uh, the danger, and um, it's just it, 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 they need to be held accountable. That's all I can all I can say. It's just it's just sad. 
Kim Jackson, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about the impeachment manager's case yesterday is an awful lot of attention has been focused on the speech that Donald Trump gave from uh, 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 outside of the White House and whether the words in that speech were what could have been considered incitement of the crowd. But that's not where the impeachment managers focused all their attention on. They did talk about it. But they went back to months before the election, and it showed how Donald Trump had over and over again talked about the only way he could lose as if it was fraud that people had to fight to protect their their uh, uh, president. And they laid out a case that this was a matter of months and months of the president's uh, encouraging uh, the, the people uh, who support him to fight whatever you want to make of that. Not one speech, Senator. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, so I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, and I think a lot about rhetoric and the ways that words matter, how they how they can help us to emote positively or negatively. Words really matter. And Donald Trump spent months and months, in fact, years, uh, building us up to this point. And, and this is actually where I disagree with the mayor. I actually do think this is us, um, that what we saw on January 6th, is is who we are. This is this is the shadow side of us. To, to, to use that particular word, um, we we as a nation for the last 400 years have continued to cultivate a portion of our of our country where supremacy, white supremacy, is normalized and accepted. We have continued to, for the last 400 years, um, and, and cultivate a portion of our country where militias are are, are celebrated, where uh, such acts are, are are venerated when people quote stand up for their democracy. And so, I do think this is us. And I think that it, as long as we as long as we pretend that it's not us, then we're not going to address it. We're not going to address the rest of the root of this issue. And so we have to acknowledge, we have to look January sixth in the face and say, this is a part of us. And how do we root this out? Uh, in the very short time we have, I'd love to give Kevin and Amy a chance. Kevin, uh, Bill, I, I had a hard time keeping up with it yesterday, given the uh, the Krispy Kreme uh, story. But I spent a lot of time last night. Uh, uh, really watching things closely. And the, the part of everything that they showed that struck me and has stuck with me was watching a obviously terrified Mitt Romney run down that hallway. I mean, you can say what you want about Mitt Romney. He was a candidate for president. He's a man who has apparently stuck with his principles through this era. And he was terrified. And if that doesn't say everything about what was going on that day, I don't know what does. All right, Amy, I want to give you at least a quick uh, chance here. Um, we're not a normal family. This is what we watch together as a family, including with my fourth grader, um, because it's part of history and we think it's important. And what I've grappled with is the questions that he asked me as we're watching it. Mommy, why are they carrying a Confederate flag when they just came through the windows? Um, why haven't they all been arrested, right? Who's going to be held responsible, right? They said, go march there. What did they think was going to happen? And I think that it's, honestly, it's the questions from the children that we need to be paying attention to because they really kind of point out the crux of a lot of these issues. Um, Amy, I'm sorry I've got to cut the conversation off. We've really run out of time, but thank you all. Kim Jackson, Julie Smith, Amy Steigerwall, Kevin Riley, thank you for a really important conversation today. We're back with another uh, Political Rewind tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, and yes, wear two masks, says the CDC. See you all tomorrow.